1: Or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services.
2: It's the Son of a Butch podcast. You guys know the drill. We come to you every Wednesday. This week's guest, the principal owner of the Houston Astros, Jim Crane. They just won the World Series. And I thought it would be a good opportunity to talk to a guy like Jim about You know, all the stuff that they've done, you know, as a, as a major league franchise organization, kind of a building a, a culture of winning a a series of excellence and, and all the things that they do, um, at the Astros organization. Um, I've known Jim Crane for a long time. He's effectively my boss here at the Floridian because he owns the Floridian, but, um, I've gotten to watch his, I mean, I think my dad and I've known Jim for around 25 years and gotten to watch his rise, not only in business, but also in sports. And um, he's got some pretty cool things to say. And let me tell you, um, obviously he owns a golf course, so he um, he loves golf and is a huge, huge golfer. Um, he took over the running of the Houston Open on the PGA Tour, so um, lots to talk about. But before we jump in, let's take a moment to thank For Wellness for supporting the show. You guys hear me talk about them every week, and the reason I do that is because I drink their coffee every week. I know lots of people are focusing on health and wellness as we start the new year, but what I love most about their coffee is that there isn't anything artificial in it. No artificial ingredients, sweeteners, creamers, and all the junk that isn't good for you. It's only the good stuff giving you more energy without typical crashes you get when a lot of your coffee and if you have a lot of sugar in your coffee give it a try and use the special code CH3. That code will get you 20% off your order, plus free shipping and a free starter kit worth $30 when you visit 4 slash podcast. Again, that's the code CH3 at 4 slash podcast. So now let's get to the interview with Jim Crane. Jim, in 2014, Ben Ritter um, from Sports Illustrated wrote an article, um, cover of Sports Illustrated, said the Astros were going to win the World Series in 2017, which you guys did. But when that article came out, uh, did you think he was crazy for writing it? Did you envision that happening? And then, I mean, if you think about it, five years later, you guys have just won another
3: World Series. Crazy. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I think they liked the method we were going at. The team wasn't very good at the time. And, um, you know, the people we had under contract weren't producing. So, you know, Balloon out, stripped the thing down and got a lot of young players and started developing. And you knew you'd start to win at some point. You just didn't know when. And, you know, we got good and added a few players, but a uh, little good fortune. But, you know, the plan works. So you have to give them credit.
2: I mean, when he wrote that article, you, you had had three seasons in a row. You buy the team in 2010, yeah. 2011.
3: Yeah, yeah, 2011. And then
2: them. you guys lose 106 games in 11, 12. You win, you lose 107, 111, and that turnaround from where the team was then versus where it is now at the as the best team in baseball. Um, I guess the obvious question, Jim, is, I mean, how do you do that in such a short period of time? You mentioned obviously good fortune, and you've got to get some breaks and stuff, but. I think people are starting to see what you guys have built, you know, with the Houston Astros. Um, There's a culture of winning that you have created. Um, How did you go about doing that? Because I think a lot of people listening um, are, you know, obviously they're big into golf, they're big into sports. But creating, Jim, a winning culture, how do you go about doing that as the person at the top?
3: Well, you know, going back to the, you know, when we started that, the team was financially... Uh, and you know losing money so you know the the first part of it was to stop the bleeding but once we started to turn the team and we made the playoffs in 15 and beat beat the Yankees so it was a, it was a pretty quick turnaround the team got competitive as the team got more competitive it got a better following you win the world series the economics are a lot better and so we had a lot more resources you know to bring in good trainers to bring in good coaches and and really work with the players and then once you start winning Everybody's very focused on getting better and better, and so they all challenged each other. And I think you know some of the core guys like Altuve and Bregman and Correa at the time were very hard workers. And so when people walked in the locker room, there was an expectation that you know this is how we're going to do it, and this is how hard you need to work if you want to be on this team. And so they all led by example. And so once you got that, it kind of got contagious. And so that everybody walks in the locker room, there's an you know the new guy walks in. You know, as, as you've had new players from 17 and brought new new kids up from the system, the expectation is there that you know this is how we this is how we work and this is how we play, and everybody gives their best effort. So I think that the players kind of developed that themselves with some good leaders in there, and then the economics got better, and you know then when we needed to sign another guy or bring in a Verlander or a Grinke or whoever um, you know made the team better down the stretch, it just got us more consistent.
2: As an owner of a, a major league baseball team, the fans see it as a sport but as you mentioned, sports in 2022 is 100% a business. There is the sports side of it and then there is the business side of it. How do you as, as the guy at the top manage those two? We're look, you're looking at the business side of things and then there's the sporting element of it I mean because I think that's a fine line between you know the sports and the business.
3: I think you know we've we've looked at you know we've gotten the revenue up and of course um, you know we tr- we try to to make a profit if we can so, you know some years in those early years uh, certainly we didn't with Kovic, we we didn't um, I think you balance it I think most of the teams are pretty disciplined they'll spend the money they have on players uh, um, you know without you know going into into losses no although it's changing now we've seen some teams do some. Uh, very extravagant spending and and definitely losing some money. So um, we don't really look at it like that. You know, I've got investors in the business, and you know, you try to return, get a return for them. Um, but you, you try to balance it. You, you know, we're in a position now, the Astros, where you know our revenues are up with with the four or five biggest teams, and we can compete against them, and we can sign some free agents and. We can develop our players well, and we can, you know, you know, sign our guys in arbitration. So we kind of use a blended model where we keep the rookies coming in, keep keep a hold of our ARB guys, and then bring in some talent when we need it. And, and that formula has worked well; it's kept us very competitive, uh, and we should be very competitive in 2003 and and compete for another championship. You said to me once that from a
2: from an owner standpoint, you are I think one of the only owners. Of a major league baseball team that actually ever played competitive baseball central missouri from 73 to 76 still hold the single game strikeout record for the fighting mules 18 (laughs) but jim do you think it helps you coming from a baseball background that you played the sport that you played the game that you understand not only you've been unbelievably successful from a business standpoint um but You played competitive baseball, so you understand how the game works. Do you think that helps you, and do you think it can hurt other owners because they weren't in baseball?
3: Well, you know, I think it gives me a different perspective. I I didn't play professionally, but played I was an All-American in college and and pitched a lot, you know, from the time I was a freshman all the way through senior. And, you know, I know what it is to throw nine innings. I mean, you know, your, your back, legs back, you're a little stiff, you're a little sore. Um, you know, the wear and tear. And, you know, I can walk into a locker room because I was in a locker room probably from the time I was, you know, in high school all the way through college. So you know how that vibe works and you can see it and you can see how the guys are getting along. So I'm comfortable talking to the players. I I probably talk to them, you know, more than some of the other owners, but I'm just comfortable doing it. I invite them to dinner. I try to get to know them. I kind of tell them if you've got a problem, I got a problem. We were able to get – uh, Jordan Alvarez's family in from Cuba, which was no e- easy feat. Um, but, you know, that was something that was really bothering him. So we put some effort in it and hired some people to help. And, you know, that, that gains loyalty with your players. And, you know, sometimes it's not down to the last dollar. It's where they're most comfortable. And that's the atmosphere we try to create at the Astros. And I think it's worked pretty well. We care about our people. We care about our players. And we care about our fans. Two things.
2: um that you have pushed heavily into, um, the farm system, developing talent, uh, from the ground up that are part of the Astros organization. And then, um, the second part that I want to get to the analytics thing, when you came in and, 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 and bought the Astros, um, their farm system, their developing of talent that were part of the organization wasn't, nearly what it is now. And I think you all have had so much success, Jim, because you've taken young players, put them into the organization at an early stage, because it's easy in 2022 to do what the Mets and the Yankees and the Dodgers do, just go buy superstars. Why was it important for you to build from within and and have these players um, part of the Astros organization from a very early age?
3: Well it, it you know you start with the, the coaches and the scout. the scouts uh, do a good job of selecting the guys, and not often in the first round, it's the second round, a third round, and identifying that talent and then once we have the talent, we make sure we've got the expertise you know, to improve that changeup or, uh, you know, get more rotation on the, on the, and spin on the ball when the guy's throwing a slider or, you know, uh, develop their swing better so they make making more contact. So it really is the you, know, the, you know, first the scouts, we get the guys in the system, and then we really try to fine-tune them and find something um, that they weren't doing effectively where they were at. I think, you know, we brought in some pitchers, uh, Derek, uh, uh, Derek Cole, and you know we were able to improve his slider and his his rotation on his fastball and make his you know his pitches a little more lively and um you know that that he had he had a very good couple of seasons with us. so i think you give a lot of credit to the coaches and the scouts and then you know then just you know working those guys as a team in the locker room and you know you get a good manager dusty baker's very good with the players he's he's comfortable in the locker room he can talk to the guys he encourages the guys he He's a, he's a player's coach, and so that, that type of thing worked very well. Same thing with A.J. Hinch. Um, so just, just really fine-tuning the players and, and making them better and improving them. They're all good athletes when you get them. Um, you know, there's just that edge where some of the – you know, in golf, some of the guys can go to another gear under pressure. You know, I think the other thing that helps our guys is they've been in the big games – Um, They know that kind of pressure, and they they perform well in those big games, as you've seen over the last five years. I mean, last six years, we've been in the AL Championship uh, six times in a row. Hopefully, we can do it again this year.
2: But when you find these players, I mean, do you think that, again, is part of the culture that players know that there's an opportunity for them if they get into the Astros system early on? They see the pathways of, of great players that have gone from start, to to finish, guys like Jose Altuve, who's been part of the farm system. You guys brought him up. You didn't trade him. He wanted to stay. Do you think that also helps in creating that culture around the
3: Astros? Oh, no doubt about it. I, I mean, even the guys that have left, um, you know, still stay in contact with with our players. They they enjoyed the camaraderie. Uh, they were comfortable in the locker room and, you know, they, they develop a culture of winning and they, the expectation was always there. If you walk in the locker room, we expect to win. So, um, you know, the guys, you know, I think it's helped a lot of our young players go to another, another gear and really produce Pena this year was remarkable um, taking Correa's spot, um, MVP of the, the world series. Unbelievable.
2: Analytics, Jim, in 2022, I mean, business, everything is, is kind of being driven by analytics. Um, why did you feel it was important early on in, in you know the new ownership of the Astros to push so heavily into
3: analytics? Well, we we re- you know the, the 2011 just there was a lot of teams that were ahead of us, but there was also a lot of teams not doing anything, and we felt if we had good information, you know, from that that analytics, whether it's bat speed, you know, rotation on the pitches, you know, foot speed. Um, you know, closing distance on a fly ball. All of those things matter. Those little things matter, you know, if it's a tick better, if it's a tick better here. Um, so that gives you, you know, good information to make a decision. Um, then once you have that information, you got to know the players and, you know, the makeup of the players and, and how they fit in. But, you know, I think everybody's kind of caught up with each other on the analytics. There's some new stuff coming. You know, there's always new new data coming. But, um, you know, we've got good information to help make, make good decisions on the players, not only – you know, drafting the players, but also once we get the guys improving the players. So it works. How much um, are the players
2: looking at the same information that you all in the organization are looking at from a data standpoint?
3: Yeah, we have a team of guys that work with the players on, you know, whatever, you know, their their pitching or, you know, their release points, all the various things that, that a pitcher needs to be aware of, the spin rate, you know, the location of pitches, um, you know how a certain batter handles a certain pitch you know i mean they they do all their homework on that, so the players are very engaged on it same thing same thing on the hitting side you know they work you know hours at looking at data and looking at you know not not only the data of their swing but also you know what the night of that game you know the pitcher's going to pitch they'll go in the the video room and they'll look at look who's going to pitch and what kind of movement on that ball and where they where they think they're going to try to pitch them. So they're always doing their homework. They have prep meetings before the games um, to give them that information. And now they have, you know, the iPads in the, in the dugout they can use. And so it's a data-driven business, and the information helps.
2: But I remember you telling me once in 17, um, when you guys made your run for the World Series, you were talking about the manager at the time, A.J. Hinch. You were saying that you had told A.J., listen, I played baseball, um, I'll never beat you up if you make a baseball decision that goes against what the analytics are saying, because AJ played, you played. So how do you have that balance of the athlete having too much information and being able to filter all of that in?
3: Well, I, you can't overload them. I mean, I think you know it depends on the player. Um, they try to break it down when they present it to them and make things simple. And, you know, start one step, two steps at a time. If they can take more information, they need more information, they're going to get it. So I, I, I do think there's there's still the element of, you know, analyzing the situation at a particular time and who's done what over not just looking at the, at the numbers. The manager has, you know, the wherewithal and has the discretion to make, you know, something that may not go right by the book. And, you know, that's, that's what makes a great manager. So... Um, you know, I think sometimes some of the teams are, you know, got their lineup set and they've got everything set. And, you know, here, this guy comes in if this batter's up and we're going to change this guy. And, you know, it's pretty, pretty orchestrated from the start to finish. But um, we, don't, we don't really do it like that. We leave to the manager that's on the field and kind of, you know, looking in the guy's eye, like, is he ready to go? And, you know, is this the best move, you know, using that feel along with the numbers? But they all have the numbers.
2: You won the World Series in 17, obviously the controversy uh, that followed. Do you feel like winning another World Series in 2022 is validation of, of the organization and the work that you all have put in?
3: Well, you know, it brought a, a lot of a bad press and a, and, a, and a lot of pressure on the team. I mean, certainly what we did wasn't right. Um, you know, every, we've been through that and apologize for that a hundred times. But, um, you know, certainly... That has been going on in baseball, and in fact, you know, for a long time, there was teams, two teams fined ahead of us. Um, you know, we took the punishment; um, we weren't right, and we moved on from it. I think it was nice to see the team. You know, we'd been in the World Series the year before, and they're hard to win. You know, if one team gets hot or the other one doesn't, but you know, we've been in um, four in the last six years, and. You know We've won two of them, so our batting average is 500 in the World Series. So that's good. I mean, just to knock on the door and get there, it was great for the city. Um, It proved, I think, that this has always been a very good ball team, and to win another one um, and and put that banner up um, come this spring was going to be a lot of fun for the fans and and for the players. I mean, we get great support in Houston without all the, the great fans and the attendance and the corporate sponsorships. Um, we wouldn't have the resources to, to do the things we do. So I really appreciate the support of Houston.
2: One of the cliches in sports, Jim, is they always say that you learn more from defeat and losing than you learn from winning. You were all, the Astros were in the World Series last year. You didn't win. What did you, as an organization, learn from not winning last year that you think helped you in 2022 this year?
3: Well, I, I think the guys knew you know, we had a really good team this year. I, I, I can't put one You know, certain thing that was there. I think just their consistency of being in the World Series or being in a lot of big games, um, they're not fearful of those games. A, a team like the Phillies hadn't been in there in years. There's a little more pressure and a little more angst once you don't have that rhythm and you haven't been in those types of situations many, many times. So I think we just had a big edge Um you know, sometimes you win, somebody gets hot, somebody pitches better. You know, baseball, you lose 60 games in a season. You've had a really good season, so you're going to get beat, you know. And uh, it's a short series, so it's fairly random. You know, the best team in baseball uh, this year, the Dodgers, won 110 or 11. And they got knocked out, you know, in an early round. So it can happen to anybody. They say
2: confidence comes from demonstrated performance, right? You look at in the past, because everybody says, you know, how do you gain confidence, right? You, you've mentioned it. A couple of times already, because the team keeps getting into pressure situations, keeps getting to the big games. Whether you win or you lose, keep getting there has got to be huge for the athletes.
3: Yeah, no, I I think they thrive on that kind of environment. And you know, you you watch some of the guys that are good at it. They're not always going to be able to play to the expectations, but you know, it seems like this year, you know. Big hit at a certain time, big play. I mean, it was just our year. We, we were smooth with it. Um, you know, I, I, I play a lot of golf. I, I kind of relate to, you know, if you're in a, you know, not playing professionally, but if you're in a club championship or you're in a member guest and you got a bunch of people watching, you know, what guy can hit that shot under pressure? That's, if you've
2: been there before, it helps. <laughs>
3: well, if you've hit a bunch of those shots. Um, in that situation, you don't get as nervous. So you know, I I kind of relate to that. I mean, you you wonder about these these pro golfers. You know, when they're on a, when they're on on, they they come in and they finish that round and they 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 finish that you know that that last putter that last shot and you know execute all the way in. And I think you know as you've seen with great golfers, the more they've done that, the more comfortable they are doing it. It's the same thing in baseball.
2: Let's take a quick break
1: or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services.
3: Oh, that's such a clutch pickup, Dave. <laughs> I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it.
2: You said early on, one of your dreams, two of your dreams was to own a professional baseball team and to own a golf course. You own a <laughs> a, a, a burgeoning dynasty. You own the golf course we're at here, the Floridian. You guys run the Houston Open on the PGA Tour. Um, how did golf, Jim, become such a huge, huge part of your life?
3: Well, I, I was started as a kid caddy in, um, in St. Louis at a course right next to my high school. I think I didn't get didn't make the junior varsity when I was a freshman, so I was mad. So I, I just went went over and start caddying after school, and then the next year my dad said, uh, "Jim, you're not going to be able to, you know, show them how good you are if you don't play. So you know, might want to go back." So you probably got similar uh, speeches from your dad. Yep. But um, you know, the the you know the, the the baseball has always been in the back of my mind. I never really realized I could. Ever have enough money to buy one? And the big company I started from scratch in '84 got big, and I'd taken over in a hostile takeover. I wasn't trying to sell it, and it sold, and so I had sitting on a big stunk of cat, a, a, a big stack of cash. And um, you know, I'd been coming down to the Floridian, and you know, Wayne Hisinga, you know, was trying to sell it, and. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. thought I made a low-ball offer, and he took it. So then I was in the golf business, and but it's been fun. I mean, this place is great, and it, it's fun to see all the people come in here and enjoy it. It's a great facility, um, and, it, and it's done well. And then, you know, the baseball, I bid on a few teams, bid on a few teams. They're very difficult to buy. I finally got it done, and then, you know, we work it hard there. We try to, try to do everything right. Um, just like I pick up tees on the golf course, I pick up trash in the building at the ballpark. So – we try, to, we try to get really good people to run their individual apartments and and uh, be the best at what we be and, and work at it very hard every day, but I'm very grateful. I've, I've got a golf course and i got a baseball team and, and I still have a job, so I'm good. My dad and I have known you for over almost
2: 20, 25 years now. Um, Your business-wise, I've never pegged you as a micromanager, but I have never met anybody, Jim, that is at the level you're at that is as focused on the small little details you know as 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 someone who's you know business the things that you've done sports the things that you've done do you think that one of the keys to your success is the attention to the small stuff that a lot of people overlook
3: well, you want, you know, yeah, I think the little things matter. And whatever business you're in, you know, just a cargo business, you know, the way a pallet's loaded, whether to get to the other end or not, stuff like that. Um, but I do watch everything and watch people working. And, you know, it really it really relies on good people. You have great people on your staff and you set the standards, and you know, nine out of ten times they're going to meet those standards and, and, and things get better and better. Good people hire good people. Um, and you know, you want things to run first class and they, they enjoy that. Like our staff in Houston will all get a ring all the way down to the usher. That's a way of showing appreciation. And those people are doing the little things that really matter to make a stadium look great and clean and nice. And, you know, I, I have a rule there at the ballpark. If some don't let anyone leave mad, we're coming here to have fun. If somebody drops their ice cream, give them another one. If somebody fills their popcorn, another one, give them a beer. Don't, don't. Don't make anyone, this is a place we want to have fun and enjoy it, so make things right. And that attitude just kind of breeds on itself. It works here at, at a golf course. It works at the ballpark. It works in your business. So I just use those same principles since I started started companies uh, many, many years ago.
2: You're involved with the PJ Tour now. You guys took over the running of the Houston Open. What was the reason... That you chose? Listen, I mean, it's not like you need to take on a PGA Tour event. You're running, you know, the Houston Astros, you're running all of your businesses globally. Um, what was the reason why you wanted to get involved with the PGA Tour and, and, and basically take over the running of the Houston
3: Open? Yeah, well, Houston's a big town, a lot of golf, uh, it's a golf town. Um, you know, the tournament had failed. And so they had lost the slot um, before the Masters and they didn't have a sponsor. So um, I felt the location wasn't always the best, and that was kind of part of the downfield, you know, the, the sponsor for years pulled out. And I felt that with our baseball, you know, connections and all the sponsors we have there, that we could move it downtown um, in a city park. But that took a lot of money. We raised a lot of money to do that and put about $32 million in the city park. But that's where it was originally played it's a place where it had plenty of room to do it and it was a central spot so I knew that the draw would be good because they had a hard time getting fans out at the other location so just all that came together and and the main reason we did it is you know I went to the Phoenix Open one year and I was with the CEO of Waste Management Jim Fish and I said man this thing's unbelievable I mean how much revenue you generate and he says well um, you know, they, they generate about $20 million for charity. And I'm going, holy smokes, you know, that's something we, that interests me. And I felt if I could get it downtown, I could get the course renovated and pull all of those strings. And we got a lot of support from foundations and, you know, donations throughout the city uh, and a lot of sponsors. And so we were able to pull together. And this last year we made about $5.5 million for charity. And so it, it's worked, it's up and running, and it should be a great tournament for many years.
2: You mentioned charity, uh, the Astros Foundation. When when you took over the running of the Houston Astros, how much money was in the Astros Foundation, and how much is in the Astros Foundation now?
3: Well, we there wasn't much. There was like thirty thousand. We couldn't find it. But um, but at the end of the day, we do a lot of events to raise money. Great sponsors. Again, you know they're the key. Um, we've probably raised over sixty million, and you know we spent thirty two million on the golf course and. You know, we probably give away five or six million a year, and you know, have a, a pretty good balance in there. Um, and all that goes back into the community. And I think, um, you know, that's why we get a lot of support in the ballpark. We started the baseball program, where we renovated, um, you know, 23 city fields, and have 11,000 kids that have run through that program. We've had two kids drafted, and 40 baseball and softball scholarships just from the kids that have gone through that system. So you know, it's, it's easy to get behind that from a sponsor standpoint when you can get those kind of results. And so it's just giving back to the city. We have a great city and they're very generous and you know, couldn't do it without them.
2: So let's take a short break and we will be back right after this.
0: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything, for every passenger, feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
1: Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game.
2: True golf, you've gotten to know. I mean, we've got a bunch of tour players that are members here. Brooks, DJ, um, Gary Woodland, Ricky Fowler. Um, you've got a close friendship with Jimmy Walker. You get to play a lot of golf with a lot of really good golfers. When you play with these guys, Jim, what stands out? when I mean, obviously you're around baseball all the time. So you're around the best baseball players in the world, but you you get a ringside seat um, and you play in the Dunhill every year. You play in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. You play a lot of problems. When you play with the best players in the world what 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 impresses you about their games
3: well they're just they're very really really good I mean uh you know they they you know and they can focus I mean these are guys that have all won big tournaments and um you know play well it, it's it's hard to win every week in that business too but um just just the way they strike the ball if you you, you know I can kind of look at you know guys swing and and, you know, you try to emulate those swings. Not that you got the speed or the power they have, but but when you watch good players play, um, I think it makes you better. So they're just fun to play with. And You know, you can't play at that level. But um, a lot of times you play better when you're playing with them because you want to try a little harder and you kind of watch what they're doing. Um, and, and it's great fun. I mean, not a lot of people get to do that. So that's one, one great thing about having a course. You know, they'll trip in here and go play nine holes, and uh, it's a lot of fun.
2: One of my favorite stories that I'd love for you to tell you—you uh, you were paired with Jimmy Walker when Jimmy Walker won the Pebble Beach Pro Am, and last round they're on what was it on the fifteenth hole?
3: I think it was fourteen. The, fourteen, the, the, the par hole. five. Yeah, yeah, no. So so Jimmy's uh, kind of he had a six shot of lead going in, so I'm I'm just trying to stay out of his way, but um, he's on fourteen, and we played that course on. On earlier in the week on Thursday, and we had to get a string out. On he pulled out a five wood, he blew it way down there, very hard hole. to hit in two for even a pro uh, at Pebble Beach, and he hit a he fanned a uh, three three wood to the right, and they had to get a string out to see if it was um, see if it was still in bounds, and it was it was in barely in bounds, and he chipped it up there and made birdie, which is you know that's a two shot swing, but I'll get to the end of it so. We get on Sunday and, you know, he's made a couple of bogeys, his shit, his, you know, his lead's down, maybe two or three. And he pulls out the three wood. And so I'm standing behind him and his caddy's over there and we're waiting and waiting because people on the green. And so I'm well, he's not going to hit that three How wood. How far out was it? He? <laughs> he, he was like, you know, it's uphill. It was like 280 or something. Cold. <laughs> yeah, we had a, I think he had a five wood, yeah. And so anyway, I, I waved his caddy over. I said, is he going hit to that, that, hit that five wood? He said, yeah. And I said, do You think he should hit it? And he said, No. And he says, I said, Well, go tell him. He said, You tell him. <laughs> so I didn't want to mess him up. So I got over and I put my arm around. I said, Jimmy, what are we going to do here? He says, I'm going to hit this little fade five wood up there and it's going to land on the green. So if anything, it'll roll off the back and I'll have a, you know, kind of a back into the grain chip. I said, Okay. So I slapped him on the back and I said, Hit it. Let's go. You know, just because you didn't want to tell him not to hit it. So he hit it right over the flags sure enough, he chipped it up, a little stubbed it a little bit and, and missed the putt, but he still made par. But he's coming in and he's leaking all. He's got one one shot lead coming into eighteen. You know, I'm gonna think everybody's gonna blame me if he blows this thing. <laughs> so he, he hits a you know, pulls out an iron on eighteen, hits it to the right, not a very good shot, and then chunks it up there and it's gotta hit it over the tree on the third shot of Pebble Beach, hits on the back of green, blows it by the hole,'s got about a five or six footer. Curled it in the corner, so he did. He won by one stinking shot. But you know, you go back. You know the difference. You know you can see these guys when they when you play with them doing that. It you know tournament comes down to one shot, and it could have been that shot where he hit it out of bounds on the first day. That's a two shot swing. So um, it's a tough business, but but um, it, it was fun to watch him under pressure, and you could see the pressure getting to him a little bit. You know, he got kind of out of his routine. So. Those guys, those guys too feel the pressure, I'm sure. But it was, it, it's always been fun to play with them. What do you
1: think
2: the similarities for everyone listening, Jim? What are the similar, I mean, you've been so successful in, in, in your businesses. What are the similarities between business and sports? What do you feel like there? Because we hear a lot of that, you know, they're very similar, you know, competition, all of that. But for you as someone that has been so successful, both in sports and in business, what do you feel like the similarities are?
3: Well, I think you know in business you're not you're not always going to have a great year. You're going to have some bad years. Things happen. Um, you know you may not get this account that you really wanted. I mean it's it's very similar. It's difficult. You have to be consistent. You got to show up and you got to do the work. And I, I think being a great athlete, uh, you see all of that in the great athletes. You know they may work a little harder. They may put in a couple hours extra practice. So they, you know they may put in more time at the gym. Um, so I think that's the similarities. It's the same in business is the effort you put out and you know, how you distinguish yourself against your competitors, and, and it works in sports too. I, in, in business, if I, I see a kid's resume um, and, and you know, they played volleyball in college, um, they, they were a swimmer, um, they, whatever the sport was, if they played in college or, or even competitively at something, Um, I knew two things right away. One, they're going to show up and they're going to work. And two, um, they don't like to lose. And so when you have those two attributes in business, they're very valuable and just like they are in sports.
2: Well, I appreciate you talking to us. Congrats. Um, You guys are doing an amazing job. And, uh, you know, we're all just we're so happy for you because... uh,
3: we're all Astros fans now. Yeah. Well, we'll 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 try to do it again. It's uh, never easy, but um, you know we'll have fun at the ballpark, and we have got a good team there, and we got good people supporting us. So thank you very much, and uh, good luck to you guys. Thanks.
2: So that was Jim Crane, and um, I mean he's he's a success. I mean, borrowed ten thousand dollars from his sister in nineteen eighty eight to start his businesses. He's a multi billionaire. Um, He's a two-time World Series franchise owner in the Houston Astros. And um, the coolest thing about Jim is, like I said at the beginning, my dad and I have known Jim. Um, I met him when he had just started his first company. He was a, a young member at Lock and Bar Golf Club, where my dad was the head pro and where I was working as an assistant. And you know, in the subsequent years, the only difference between Jim in the early 90s versus Jim in 2023 is he's just got a lot more money he's the same person and uh you know i'm really proud to to work for him and 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 be a part of everything that he's doing so good to talk to him so the PJ tour um is back uh the west coast swing is underway two tournaments in hawaii the tournament of champions um not really the tournament of champions anymore because the PJ tour this year deciding to let in everybody that made it to the tour championship last year. So if you made it to Eastlake, you made it to the tournament of champions and I'll let you guys do the math on that one. Um, Colin Morikawa, six shot lead going into the final round and doesn't get it done. And John Rahm, I mean, just shoots lights out and, takes the first tournament of the year and i mean i just, I, I i saw this tweet the other day um, in his last 15 starts john rom has won two national opens um he's won the tournament of champions he, he i mean the guy basically just either wins finishes top 10 or top five in every tournament he enters and how he's the number five ranked player in the world with that resume he just won the the end of the year on the dp world tour uh so he's pretty much one of his two out of his last three starts. And um I don't know how you can do that against the field that was in Maui and, and not move up in the world rankings. I mean, it's just it's it's crazy. I think they've got to try and figure something out. And 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 it's not just me saying this. I mean, when you hear John Rahm saying that he thinks it's crazy, um, and he was talking about that in Dubai before he won. So um he he said he feels like He's the best player in the world right now. And I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, Rory McIlroy's playing some unbelievable golf right now. Cam Smith's played unbelievable golf. Uh, DJ's played great golf. Scotty Scheffler. But if you look at the way John Rahm has been playing over the last, you know, end of last year and the again, the beginning of this year, um, I think there's an argument to be made that he is the number one ranked player in the world. But I can guarantee you this. He's not the fifth ranked player in the world. I know that. So um, it'll be interesting to see how some of the new rookies, I think everybody's excited to see how Tom Kim plays um, full year on the PGA Tour. Um, you'll see a lot of players starting in Hawaii, and then should have a pretty good field uh, for Palm Springs, the American Express. Uh, I was with Ricky Fowler. Had, I had lunch with Ricky Fowler yesterday. He said he was starting there, and, and you heard me say this on the podcast before. I'm betting that Ricky wins on the PGA Tour before the Masters. That is my hot Hot take. But hats off to John Rahm. He is, uh, if there's a better golfer on the planet, I don't know who it is. And, uh, you know, I, when I watch him play golf, I wonder how he doesn't basically win every golf tournament because he rarely hits it offline and he's an amazing putter. And uh, when he is firing on all, all cylinders, um, he's one of those two, three guys in the world of professional golf where I just don't know how you beat him. So I'm excited golf's back and uh, it'll be good to see. All of the tours back up and running very, very soon. Son of a butch comes to you every Wednesday. We will see you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity presents
0: a new chapter in luxury. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Get in
4: zone, AutoZone.
1: Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today?
4: My check engine lights on.
1: Mm, that could hurt your gas mileage. The AutoZone free FixFinder service can help find the fix for free.
4: Get in zone. This whole report for free?
1: That's right. Printed and on your phone for free. Get
4: in zone. But what if the fix is too tough?
1: We'll recommend a local shop. FixFinder, only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, auto zone. Restrictions apply.